Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade has the day off. Brian will be back tomorrow. This is Harry Hurley. Honored to be filling in, partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, which sits high atop the Mount Olympus of radio talk shows in America today. Talkers Magazine places Brian Kilmeade on its Mount Rushmore of radio talk show hosts in America. There's only room for four, and Brian Kilmeade is deservedly one of them. You can follow Brian at briankilmeade.com, briankilmeadeshow.com. Brian is also the New York Times bestselling author. His latest book is available right now on pre-order. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. And you know that all of the books that Brian writes are so incredibly relevant and readable. Brian also has a very exciting event that's fast approaching. You have the opportunity this upcoming Saturday, September 25th, to see Brian and Dana Perino at the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park, New Jersey. All of the details are at briankilmead.com. Welcome to the Brian Kilmead Show. Ladies and gentlemen, on the Brian Kilmeade Show, Newsmaker Hotline is my friend of a little more than 25 years, but we're very young. We were 10 when we met. Ladies and gentlemen, the Fox News all-star, Fox News correspondent, my good friend, Griff Jenkins. Griff, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Happy Monday to you. How are you? And you know, you're dating us into old guys, but I love it. (laughs) Well, I said we were 10 when we met, so that would make us about 35 each. I got us covered. Got us covered, Griff. Exactly. You know, I I always relish my middle-aged, because I follow on Twitter a handle called Old School 80s, and today (laughs) I find out that today would have been the 58th birthday of Whitney Houston, who of course passed in 2012. But, you know, for those of us that remember partying to Whitney Houston, I guess you're right in that same category with me and Harry. Without a doubt. Now, we we have each other covered on the Brian Kilmeade Show, but do we have the southern border covered, Griff? Harry, I think we're at a moment. I I know that Fox News has taken some criticism for being obsessed with it, but honestly, when I was anchoring this weekend uh, and interviewing our great reporter, Bill Malusian, down there, I asked him, I said, Bill, how many other networks, how many other reporters print, how many cameras are down there where you are, where we just had that day 3,100 people cross illegally in the RGV, where less than 50 percent of the Border Patrol agents are on the line protecting the border because they're transporting and processing migrants, and where the COVID-positive rate among migrants is more than 15 percent. I said, how many other networks are there? He said, zero. Hmm. Zilch. Not a single one. And uh not to give our own network uh, a great victory lap or, or too much kudos, but honestly, I think we're at a moment, Harry, where you're going to see that start to shift and other networks will pick it back up because you've got that mayor down in McAllen. 
Javier Villalobos, a Republican who was elected in a very democratic traditional uh, uh, town, saying to the federal government, we're running out of money. We can't do this alone. This is a federal responsibility, and we're being forced to release migrants into the community who are COVID positive, 7,000 since February, 1,500 in the past week. And, and I think at that point, really, the administration, who has chosen the path they're taking with regards to uh, a porous border, are, they're going to have to deal with their fundamental, I think, responsibility to protect uh, our border and our border towns from being overrun with COVID positive migrants. And Griff, it wasn't gratuitous, as you well know, and you stated it very well. Fox News Channel and Fox News Radio oftentimes way ahead of the competition when it comes to some of the most important issues that for whatever reason, and we pretty much know why, uh, they purposely, there's acts of omission, acts of commission, where they purposely don't cover certain things. We're going to talk about it later in the program, but they don't talk about uh, Andrew Cuomo until now it's safe and they want him gone. So now it's pile on Andrew Cuomo. But these same facts were all available for the longest time and really only the Fox News Channel and Fox News Radio talking about it across America. In terms of the COVID-19 positive migrants, and, and obviously we have uh, children migrant just um, tragedy that's also going on in big numbers, Griff. We have such a tight northern border with friends who are fully vaccinated, and yet purposely we have this southern border where everything from MS-13 to human traffickers to drug smugglers, you name it, you, you know about this, Griff. They just found this um, fantastical uh, tunnel from uh, Mexico into California. That was just um, uncovered. I mean, they know all this is going on, and they will not tighten up that border. And then they're sending these COVID-19 positive folks on buses and on planes around the country. It's happening, Griff. It, it is, and you know what? What the the one of the telltale signs about for for the officials, right, in Washington, and of course the border patrol chiefs in the various sectors, the telltale sign that they're losing a grip. Numbers aside, is the uh, brazenness of the cartels moving more MS-13 people, and then we find out in just the last few days in the El Paso sector, right, that's across from uh, Ciudad Juarez, where I've spent a lot of time, very dangerous situation, we typically don't have the uh, cartels actually taking aggression, violence towards uh, Border Patrol because they don't want the attention. They don't want to draw any unnecessary uh, uh, attention. However, there's a report that near El Paso, 20 rounds were fired at 3 a.m. at a Border Patrol agent uh, who had to take cover. Now, he didn't know where shots were coming from at 3 in the morning. However, mm. the cameras that we have, which are very high-tech cameras, uh, reportedly caught two subjects shooting north from the Mexican side of the Rio Grande River with what appeared to be a rifle. And that that's, you know, one of those things like, oh, gosh, some shots got fired at 3 a.m. across the border. But, but for those of us that cover it and understand the officials, that's tremendously troubling because that means that the cartels are feeling that much more empowered. 
for example, if you remember a month and a half ago when I went in the river uh, down uh, in Del Rio and confronted that smuggler and had what was a terrible conversation in Spanish because of my terrible <laughs> Spanish-speaking skills, but yet just enough to get it going, the officials were very uh, uh, appreciative that I had that conversation with that migrant because he was telling me, among other things, how much more he fears the corrupt Mexican police on his side of the border than our U.S. Border Patrol, who he says are kind in just trying to, quote, help us. And so now you've got uh, whoever, <clears throat> excuse me, is firing from the Mexican side. That That's a red flag. And I assure you it is something that is being talked about in private uh, here in Washington at the highest levels of, uh, of the Border Patrol and CBP. Griff, I mentioned to Eric about a half hour ago off air that what you did there was some of the finest work during the entire pandemic. It was raw. It was real. You got the truth. You got him admitting that the border, we know the border's open. That's why we're here. Everybody knows it's open. I mean, every lie was disproven in such raw, real terms. It was actually, and I've known you for a long time, this was some of your best work of your (laughs) career. And I congratulate you. you for that. For those just tuning in, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Griff Jenkins, Fox News correspondent on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker line. Let's pivot because we could talk all day and barely put a dent in the tragedy that is this um, southern border. That it, it's just it, it should be criminal to willfully, purposefully leave that open and expose the way that they are on purpose. And then you just have to wonder uh, how insidious is the agenda. And, it, and I think it's pretty bad. Let's pivot to infrastructure. I'm a huge fan of infrastructure. We, we know as a nation we have crumbling bridges and roadways and things. I think everybody of, of reasonable mind and thought would be for reasonable infrastructure because we haven't had something comprehensive in a long time. My problem, Griff Jenkins, is after the $1.2 trillion, that the 17 Republicans are going to allow, 10 of them would have been enough to make happen. They're coming back strong, the Democrat majority, with another $3.5 trillion in this new definition of infrastructure, which I say is really the Green New Deal in a very flimsy Halloween disguise. Give us your uh, update, Griff, on where this stands, because it's getting really close. The first $1.2 trillion is real close, isn't it? <laughs> Listen, as I was anchoring both on Saturday and Sunday for the news hours, of course, uh, my bosses know, all right, Griff, we know you're an infrastructure nerd and <laughs> love the minutia of Washington, but don't kill our viewers with that boredom. So let me boil down just the important points. You're right, Harry. They're going to pass the, the bipartisan infrastructure package probably late tonight, early uh, tomorrow morning, and it's going to go to the House. And the House will begin to unpack it. The things to watch are, are, are threefold. Number one, how fast uh, Schumer, Majority Leader Schumer, starts to push that $3.5 trillion uh, tax extravaganza, as, as Republican uh, senators are calling it, um, how fast he moves uh, to, to get it to, on the Senate floor. Number two, and perhaps the most important thing to watch, is watch moderate Democrats 
over the weekend, a letter was circling, circulating amongst the uh, Problem Solvers Caucus, right? That's 28 Republicans, 28 Democrats in the House that often try and uh, bond together to get some sensible uh, uh, behavior there in the House because they have been uh, increasingly concerned watching Nancy Pelosi cave to the progressive squad. We just saw the president do so on the uh, more eviction moratorium. By literally admitting, I know uh, as president I can't legally do this, but I'm going to do it because the right. squad demands I do. Watch, watch the, con- the 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 threat of the moderate Democrats to withhold their support, not for the infrastructure deal, but rather for the three and a half trillion dollar larger package. Because if the speaker realizes she can't pass the three and a half trillion monster because these moderates are holding out, then she may be forced to retract on her uh, threat to not even bring the infrastructure deal to the floor for a vote until the Senate passes the the larger one. Because that, a Griff, really Griff, where things stand. They know, they know if they go too far, even they know it at this point, that if they go too far, 2022 is right around the corner. The average losses of the president in power at the first midterm is 26 House seats. Uh, The Republicans only need to pick up a five. So they know if they go too far, they will be uh, putting themselves into the minority party status uh, before you know it. So the, the Republicans have no say here once it goes to budget reconciliation, unless, as you say, Griff Jenkins, some of the Democrats step up in the Senate, people like Kristen Sinema. If they say, no, I can't go with this or Manchin, it's just it's just too much. That would be the only way this would be stopped. Otherwise, they don't need a single Republican. You're right. And that you bring me to my third point, which 30 is, seconds. You got you've never had a better opportunity for Republicans in our modern times to recoup the majorities, both in the House and the Senate because of the crime, because of the border. But don't underestimate the infrastructure deal. And also, too, on top of that, since World War Two, it just happens. I mean, this is without these horrific things. We have the pandemic, uh, which at some point they're going to own it if it continues to go bad. And all the other things that you've mentioned, Griff. As always, you're outstanding, and it's great to uh, revisit with you. Thanks, Harry. Have a great Monday. You do the same. Griff Jenkins, Fox News contributor, Fox News correspondent. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian has a day off. Brian will be back tomorrow. Harry Hurley partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. In every facet of life, there are certain things that are just transferable. You don't have to say it's apples to, you know, oranges. It's, it's absolutely analogous. And this is my example. To fix a problem, you have to admit that there's a problem. Whether it's if you have a problem to fix you, you have to admit you have a problem. This is basic 101. It's not psychology or anything. It's just, it's just the basics of human existence. If you're going to fix something, you have to acknowledge that there is a problem to fix. From the very beginning, the Biden White House, and I don't know why, I mean, the American people have just pushed back Every single time in every single sampling, every survey that's been taken that the American people aren't buying the Joe Biden, Jen Psaki line, that they inherited a terrible problem at the border. Nobody's buying that. The the Trump doctrine, if you will, which had many people staying on the other side of the border until we decided that somebody could come in legally, were the greatest country in the history of the world in terms of legal immigration. What the Biden doctrine will go down in history for, I believe, is for purposefully leaving the southern border open. There's, If you think about it, it's completely incoherent to be so tight at the northern border when we're dealing with very close allies who are fully vaccinated and we're buttoned down so tight they can't get in, but we are purposely leaving the southern border open. Money was appropriated. It just the job came very close to being completely finished in that sector, uh, but ran out of time on, on the Trump watch, if you will. But actually, the materials procured, the budget approved, the president, current President Joe Biden, actually took the, the, the pro-action step of canceling things that were approved. Who would do that? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you want that border to be tight? My theory is that it's all part of the permanent Democrat majority program, and they want 200,000 people a month coming in. And you, you'll wait and see. We'll see if I am right on the Brian Kilmeade show and my prediction. But after they do the one or 1.2 trillion in infrastructure spending that will be called bipartisan and President Biden will be given great acclaim for being the bipartisan president that he promised to be, although he has been anything but that. If we're being intellectually honest, he has been so different. Than- Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The Joe Biden of the last 50 years, he has been incredibly highly partisan because he is playing to the most social Democrat wing of his party. And he has he's been basically a new Biden in terms of what's going on, whether he's in control of it. We don't know. But now look at where we are right now. If you take the other day and this was reporting, great reporting by the Fox News Channel just a couple days ago, 834 unaccompanied minors were apprehended at the border on Wednesday. It's at 19,000 plus for the month of July. Joe Biden won't admit there's a problem. Jen Psaki, the press secretary, won't admit there's a problem. On Fox News Sunday, uh, Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, he won't admit that there's a problem. How do you fix a problem that you won't admit exists? It's incoherent. It's impossible to fix it, which means you have to default to they don't want to fix it. That's a very harsh reality. But it is a very true reality. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian has the day off. Brian will be back tomorrow. Harry Hurley sitting in today, partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete, so you know I'm in good hands. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a really timely guest on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline, Brett Tolman, a former distinguished United States attorney for the District of Utah, executive director of Right on Crime, which I think is really important because there's so many that are wrong on crime right now, these defund the police folks, uh, all this woke stuff that's going on. Uh, But don't forget, they always want their own protection. Never forget that, whether it's Representative Bush, whether it it, or any of these other examples, Maxine Waters, when she was trashing the police. But before she got to town to trash the police and call for defunding in your community, she called ahead for her own personal protection detail of, yes, police officers. So, yes, it's very important that Brett Tolman is right on crime. He also served as legal counsel to the United States Senate Judiciary Committee in our nation's capital. And we have some important work to do in this segment. Brett, welcome to Brian's program. Harry, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Great to be with you. Love your work. And let's get right into it because there's so many um, uh, just falsehoods out there right now in America. People are confused. They're hearing about things like vaccine mandates, face mask mandates, and then they take positions, whether they be civil libertarians or people that think, oh, my gosh, my HIPAA rights are being violated by my employer, or you can't make me get a vaccine to work here at this job. You can't make me wear a face mask. Take it away, Brett. Talk about the legality. Let's start with vaccine mandates, then we'll pivot to face masks. Yeah, Harry, glad you're focusing some time on this. I, I received a phone call yesterday from a very, very intelligent uh, friend of mine that uh, said, uh, you know, Brett, I, I no longer know, you know, what's fact and what's not. And uh, I, 
you know, I don't know what's what's the reality with uh, COVID and what's going on. And, and that's the state of our country right now. We, we have so much misinformation that's been spread by, by the media and by those in power that people don't know. And, and the, the concern is, is that if you can create enough fear, if you can create enough misunderstanding, then it's very easy to get people to follow some of the loudest voices rather than the ones that are back, backed by data and, and backed by, you know, what we, what we see. We, we have other countries like Sweden right now that are showing that um, the overreaction by the United States, the willingness to compromise civil liberties and constitutional protections in the interests of, of um, you know, these mask mandates and, and, and other, uh, you know, uh, what I would what I would refer to as, you know, corrupt individuals in power using their authority to try to maintain control and authority, and it, it's it's not a it's not complex. It's very simple as we sit back and we watch it happen. And you're right, the legality of it is where I'm concerned and focused. And what I want to see is more lawsuits, more attorneys stepping up. Uh, more courts having to balance and weigh these mandates that are absolutely infringing on our, our civil liberties and constitutional rights. Now, you would remember this recently, an appellate court upheld a university which has implemented a vaccine mandate. I, and I, I know that different universities are doing different levels of mandates. Some are saying it's mandatory or you cannot attend our school. But if you have a medical exemption, if you're allergic to the ingredients or you have a doctor's note that says this would be injurious for you and you were not recommended by a doctor to take the vaccine, then you test either once or twice a week. What are your thoughts about the legality to this point, at least as high as an appellate court uh, at the federal level has said that these vaccine mandates for universities, for example, uh, can stay in place? Your thoughts? Yeah, I think they need to be challenged, continue to be challenged. And and so will the Supreme Court weigh in on this? Um, you know, we'll see. But the, the the thing that we now are learning is that they're reconsidering that the vaccine really is, you know, as, as successful as it had been touted. And we now are seeing that they want to institute mandates. The universities or others that are coming up with this um, this passport strategy. So you have to have proof that you have the vaccine are now going to have to acknowledge that, well, you still may have to have masks and then you still may have to do social distancing. And then we may require some, some quarantining. And at this point we have compromised the freedoms that we have in this country for the sake of a virus that still has a 99 five or six survivability. Brett Tallman is our guest on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline. Brett, in terms of the the sliding bar, if you will, where I think you start to lose people, even even out of say, say there's 30 percent unwilling right now, you're either unwilling or unable uh, to get the vaccine. When you tell people, hey, listen, be a team player, get the vaccine, you get your life back, get the vaccine, the pandemic's over for you. But then suddenly it's not. Uh, now, in fairness, uh, you know, you couldn't see the Delta variant coming. 
Uh, and it is, to be, to be fair, it is more contagious. It does not appear to be more lethal, but it appears to be uh, significantly more contagious. But I think what we've proven, and I think you said it in so many words a moment ago, Brett, the vaccines have proved that they work. Yeah, look, look at, you know, Harry, I think that what's changed between when we allowed people to get flu vaccines and we didn't intrude into whether or not an individual did or didn't get a flu vaccine. We offered them as employers. Employees had the choice. Students had the choice. What's changed? What's changed is, yes, the the COVID virus can spread much more quickly, but the survivability is where we should be analyzing it. And it and is where countries such as Sweden and others have analyzed it and indicated that that will be, you know, a, a pandemic that you, you have misinformation during the entire course of it and you have changed strategies during the entire course of it really sends the message we don't really know what to do, and we don't have a successful, you know, a universally successful approach that's going to save anyone and everyone from ever contracting um, this virus. It, that's isn't, not, hey, that's Brett, not happening. Isn't the big debate basically amongst those who are vaccinated who believe, hey, what, what's going on here? I mean, it's, it's like 99.9 infinity that I'm good to go. So what's all this about that's going on? Then, of course, there's a percentage of the population, maybe it's 30 percent still, that don't want to take the vaccine. And then they say, leave me alone, because who am I bothering? I don't I don't I don't want to take it. It's experimental. I don't want to take it and I don't trust it. And then, of course, there's a, a variety of different people that go to different extremes about tracking devices and things that I personally don't believe. But I can understand why somebody would say, look, the FDA hasn't even approved this yet. It's on emergency approval. Uh, perhaps by the end of the month, Pfizer is going to have the um, the full FDA approval. But until it's not experimental, I think it's a little hard, even though I'm for the vaccine. I took the vaccine, Brett, just full disclosure for us to be intellectually honest and be able to have a good conversation about it. I believe in it. I believe in its efficacy. I believe it is working. I know people that have had this Delta variant very close to me as recently as this week. Uh, and they've done very well within about a week. Uh, they've tested negative because they were fully vaccinated and the the vaccine is working. But then telling people that you're going to make them produce papers. I think New York City is talking about you can't go into a restaurant or these different things unless you present your passport. Those are all the things that just like the Social Security card was never going to be an identification card. Don't worry, it's not ever going to be used as an identification card. But of course, it did turn into that. Uh, I think people are concerned about some of these things. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm vaccinated. My wife has autoimmune disease that's significant. And, uh, you know, our doctor advised that we both get it. And we did. And, um, you know, this is not about whether you're for or against the vaccine. What this is, is choice. It's about the ability to exercise, you know, your right to choose um, your own health care and to work with your doctor in order to make an informed decision. What I don't want to see is what we're what we're seeing right now, and that is you have government 
wanting to pull back freedoms, civil liberties, constitutional rights, to suppress those or pull those away from individuals in the interest that government knows better. Anytime that's ever happened in history has failed. Hey, Brett, how about this? Brett, how about this? I think what President Biden's doing, he knows that a significant majority of the American people don't like this idea about passports and some of these other mandate things. People like the idea of being educated and making an educated decision on their own, whether this is right for them, right for their children, right for their family. Uh, Many people, obviously a majority of the American people now have decided to take it. The significant minority uh, has decided not to take it at this time. I think another 10 percent or more will probably take it once it has FDA full approval and is not experimental in nature. So I think what the president is doing, I think it's good politics, but it's pretty insidious. He's convincing business, industry, schools, municipalities, counties, states. He's putting it on them to lay the boom on these mandate things so that he doesn't have uh, going into the midterm elections, which are right around the corner, that they did all these draconian uh, mandatory things. That That's, I think, their gambit. I think that's the plan. Yeah, Harry, you make a great point because look what happened in several European countries when it was just the optics were purely a government, you know, top down suppressing, you know, the the citizens. That's the reaction you get. You get people in the streets. You get, you know, a lot of protesting and, and frustration. So, you know, are they are they gonna are they gonna push businesses and and private private companies to do this? Absolutely, and it's it's political at this point. Brett, we have about two and a half minutes left in our segment. Let's talk about face masks and the mandates that are that are happening. Uh, as you know, my governor, uh, Phil Murphy, came out and K through 12 uh, face masks will be required for students, for teachers, for support staff. Uh, I don't think anybody thought, and, and again, we didn't see the Delta variant coming, but I don't think anybody thought that we would go from where we were to face mask mandates again. What are your thoughts about the face mask and the different mandates that are coming about? Well, it should be personal choice again. It should be individuals that feel like they they need that, they want to use that, then let them wear those masks. Otherwise, people, you know, you have the vaccine, you have evidence that the vaccine is working. We're, We're going backwards, not forwards on this, and it's not supported by the data. The masks have never been great at, at uh, preventing this. You have fully masked uh, individuals, vaccinated individuals that can still get COVID. And so we, we know that the science and the data doesn't support that sort of draconian government, um, you know, forced compliance. And, and I hate to see it, and I hope that they'll continue to challenge it in the courts. Brad, about a minute and a half. Tough love. Last question. What are your thoughts about when you hear and we are hearing it quite a bit. The president says it. Dr. Anthony Fauci says it. A lot of leaders are saying it, particularly on the Democratic side, that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. What are your thoughts about that comment? Yeah. Yeah. Look how it shifted so quickly. If they can continue to sort of you know, utilize the media, utilize the, the narrative that it's the it's the far right, it's the right that is the problem now, and they continue to turn um, the 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 attention towards the conservatives, and, and and conservatives are not opposed to vaccines. They what they want is 
the ability to exercise personal choice because they were granted freedoms in this country. And we should not be so quickly to set those aside and let government decide what we can and cannot do. 30 seconds. Should we also believe that if the American people do not push back in certain areas, that then the next time the federal government decides or any government, state government or wherever, decides to wrestle executive powers and then they can say this is a new mandate. This is another uh, encroachment on civil liberties. The executive power has been so expanded right now that it is alarming to many of us who have been you know, working for decades in constitutional law and, and on these issues. The executive power has been expanded under both Republicans and Democrats. But right now, it's on the on the verge of being you know all powerful dictators sitting in the White House as opposed to the system of government we have. Among other things which are very weighty, Brett Tolman is a former United States attorney, so we are talking about a serious man that held a position of incredible high authority and trust. Brett, honor to present you on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Be well. Great to be with you. Thanks, Harry. Take care, sir. We'll be back in just a little bit. Brian will be back tomorrow. We will be back in just a little while here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade has the day off. He'll be back tomorrow. Harry Hurley partnering today with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is, again, one of those occasions where almost everything you need to know. If we turned it over to early grade school children who know how to play well with each other, who don't have a racist bone in their body, that don't see color, they don't see differences, they just love each other, they get along, If we would have that level of kindness and leadership, I I can't tell you what the number would be, but it would be well beyond 70% of the American people would be vaccinated. But when the president of the United States, and just so you know, it wasn't, couldn't possibly just be a gaffe. He does, he does, it's not on the cue card. He is capable, he is Ron Burgundy. He is capable, uh, blank you, Santiago. He is capable, if they write it down, he says it. So he said one day he called people who didn't get the vaccine stupid. He used the, the language, if you didn't get the vaccine, you're not as smart as I thought you were. That is, that is analogous, synonymous with calling you stupid. And then he doubled down on that. And others in his administration have said the same thing. How are you going to get from 70 percent to 80, 80 and beyond when you are calling the unwilling, who are unwilling at this point, some of them are unwilling and reasonable. Some of them are unwilling and will never get it, and there's just nothing you could do. But listen to this, Dr. Francis Collins. Cut three. Yeah, I think we ought to use every public health tool we can when people are dying. Death rates are starting up again, and you just went through the numbers about how many new cases we are seeing. We are on a very steep upswift of that curve, and we ought to be thinking of every possible intervention. You clearly believe the vaccine mandates could make a difference. (laughs) I do believe they can make a difference. I understand how 
that can sometimes uh, set off all kinds of resistance. But isn't that a shame, George? I mean, how do we get here? Why is it that a mandate about vaccine or about wearing a mask suddenly becomes a statement of your political party? We never should have let that happen. Said it because he knows it's unpopular. Ask people to do something. They may do it for you. Don't mandate it. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade has the day off. Brian will be back tomorrow. This is Harry Hurley. It is my honor, my privilege to fill in today for Brian. I'm partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete, who are obviously, you know, in the Brian Kilmeade universe. They're fantastic. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, which sits high atop the Mount Olympus of radio talk shows in America today. Talkers Magazine, for example, the great Michael Harrison and that great organization, they place Brian Kilmeade on its Mount Rushmore of radio talk show hosts in America. Keeping in mind there's only room for four, and Brian Kilmeade is deservedly one of them. You can follow Brian at briankilmeade.com, briankilmeadeshow.com. Brian is also a New York Times bestselling author, as is our guest that we will introduce in just a moment. Brian's latest book is available now on pre-order, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. Brian is also uh, going to be part of a very exciting event that's uh, fast approaching. You have the opportunity on Saturday, September 25th, to see Brian and Dana Perino at the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park, New Jersey. All the details for this special event. And it's a guest listener special event. They want you to come out and have a great time. It's really great kinship, and you'll love it. All the details at briankilmead.com. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is a um, distinct privilege for me. It's the first time that I, in 30 years that, I w- that I've been on air that I will have ever interviewed Michael Goodwin, who I read all the time. I never miss. Uh, New York Post columnist, one of the finest columnists in America, and a great Fox News contributor as well. And, oh, do we have a lot to talk about. It's not only been a busy time, it's been a busy weekend. Uh, Michael, welcome to Brian's program. Good morning. Good morning, Harry. Thank you. Great to have you. Your column is absolutely awesome. Governor Cuomo, at least Nixon had the decency to quit. I guess there's a word, right? Chutzpah. That, and, and, and didn't he, didn't he, Michael, didn't he do like the worst thing? He couldn't have talked to his, his attorneys when he said this stuff, that he would re-victimize his victims by basically saying, hey, Michael, I, I'm, I'm a 63-year-old man. They just think I sexually harassed them. They don't know that I didn't sexually harass them. This, this guy is, well, first of all, Roy Orbison is warming up. It's over. It's over. It's over, isn't it? Well, uh, you know, you make a good point, Harry, because every time Cuomo has opened his mouth, 
starting way back in uh, February and March when these first allegations of sexual harassment uh, appeared. Every time he's tried to offer a defense, he's he's come with a shovel and dug himself deeper into the ground. Uh, it, it is quite remarkable that last uh, over the last week, uh, at the end of the week, he uh, sent his lawyers out to talk for him instead of coming out himself. Now imagine that the sitting governor of New York State, who has been governor for 11 years. Uh, is faced with all of these charges, and they are beyond just allegations now. The attorney general's report uh, establishes them as facts. Mm. And so there's still a lot of talk that the, he's facing a lot of allegations. Technically, that's true, but that, that was true before as well. Now he's now the attorney general uh, corroborated uh, those uh, f- those accusations, allegations, and said that he had, as a matter of fact, sexually harassed 11 women and tried to uh, uh, retaliate against the first woman for co- coming forward. So we're in a very different universe now than we were uh, just a week ago. It's a really good point, so Michael. I, I, I think we all need to look at Cuomo differently now and realize this is truly uh, a fight for his survival, and so far it's not going well. Yeah, and you make a good point. These are literally findings, allegations. That let him stay in there and just say, I'm gonna, I want my chance. Now you have actual findings uh, that these things did indeed happen. This reminds me, uh, not the circumstances, of course, because Nixon's uh, downfall was not anything like what Cuomo's going to go down for. But they talked about Nixon talking to the pictures on the wall. It was my congressman, the great Charles Sandman, who went to him and said, Mr. President, it's over. And as you know, he hung in there for as long as he could when most people left Nixon. Cuomo has had just about everybody leave him. Every high name from the president on down on the Democrat side. And now we know that Melissa DeRosa, his top aide, she has resigned last night. Now we know someone who used to be executive assistant one is out by name, Brittany Camiso, and she is filing and has filed a criminal complaint. This now takes this from the civil, you're going to go and it's over and you're not getting your fourth term, Governor Cuomo, to possible criminal charges. Michael Goodwin, your thoughts? Well, it does. And uh, she has made a she's filed a police report and uh, we'll see. I mean, there's a possibility he could be arrested. Now, it would be a, a misdemeanor as opposed to a felony. But nonetheless, uh, again, a sitting governor arrested for basically groping uh, one of his assistants with, you know, you would think that would be the end right there. Now, I'd made the comparison with Nixon, and and so did you, Harry, and here's where the similarities are and and where the distinction is yet. The similarities are, as as you noted, that when three members of Congress, including Senator Barry Goldwater, went to Nixon during the Watergate crisis and said to him, look, you don't have the votes in the Senate to save you. Uh, they they did not say to him, you should resign or anything like that, but he knew what they were saying. And so the next day he announced his resignation, and the day after that he left the White House. That famous picture of him, you know, raising his hands almost like in the victory salute yes. uh, on, on the 
on the steps before the plane. Um, Cuomo is not quite there just yet. The the counting of votes in the assembly where the first round of impeachment would be held and then the second, which would be the trial in the Senate, uh, it's pretty clear that the votes exist now in the assembly to impeach him among yes. Democrats. Democrats hold huge majorities in both houses. So they want to do this on a party line. In other words, they don't want the Republicans to cast the deciding votes. Democrats have sort of set a standard here, as most parties would in this case. You know, he's a he's a governor of our party. Therefore, we can't let the other party throw him out. If he has to be thrown out, we have to do it ourselves. That is what they're p- planning to do. And it looks like they have more than enough votes in both houses. The, the Senate trial gets a little messy because the seven justices of the state uh, appeals court, which is the top court in New York, a court of appeals. Doesn't sound like it's the top, but it is. Um, and so they also would sit in the Senate trial as voters, uh, not judges, but but just like jurors, as all the other senators would. So it looks like the votes are there for both houses to uh, impeach and then convict and remove. But it's not certain yet. And so we haven't had that visit from the legislators saying, sir, it's over, you don't have the votes, uh, as Nixon had. So we're still waiting on that. And I I think that uh, that's what Cuomo is waiting for, too, because he's not going to quit unless he absolutely has to. Not to compare, compare you to anyone, but when I listen to Michael Goodwin speak, it's like when I used to listen to George Will speak or different or or Krauthammer's who I really meant to say uh, Charles Krauthammer you just listen to what you have to say I'm going to point this out because I think you will appreciate it I think you might even agree with it Nixon never garnered any real sympathy whatever reason he wasn't considered likable or curmudgeon whatever it was uh, he wouldn't get a lot of sympathy but Nixon twice uh, in tight spots did the right thing he did not contest the results of the 1960 election because, quote unquote, he said, I will not put the country through that. We saw what Al Gore was willing to do decades later, 40 years later, and it was disastrous. And we've never had a clean election since what Al Gore did. I think you've written about that. I have. So Nixon did the right thing there and Nixon did the right thing in the end when he stepped down without putting the country through more that it needed to be put through. I don't know if this narcissist, self-absorbed uh Cuomo has that within him. Might he fight this all the way to an impeachment trial, even if he knows deep down inside that the math isn't there? If he knows uh, that he doesn't have a shot, if it's absolutely locked down that the votes are against him in both houses, and it takes two-thirds to convict and remove, uh, I think he would resign. And, And here's why, Harry. I think that uh, being convicted and removed by trial uh, shuts you down forever. I mean, that's you're a historic figure at that point, and there's no removing that stain, and you can never seek public office again. If you have any hope of any saving your reputation in any way, resignation is a cleaner way to go. 
And so I, I do think, as I say in the column, that if he has faced with the facts that Nixon faced, that there's no way out, then I think he would pull a Nixon and resign, acting as though he's doing it for the good uh, of the public good rather than because he has no choice. But we we would give him that. But I think for this, this issue of a criminal charge, certainly uh, – mixes things up a bit. And don't forget, uh, Nixon, of course, was pardoned uh, by Gerald Ford uh, so that the country didn't have to go through the trial of a president in a criminal setting. Uh, The pardon law in New York doesn't really apply here. I don't think the lieutenant governor, Hochul, who would become governor in Cuomo's absence, I don't, as my reading of the pardon law, is that she does not have that power because there are certain criteria set up, uh, none of which he would meet uh, pre-conviction or anything like that. So it's an interesting situation that he's going to face. And as you say, with Melissa DeRosa resigning last night, it feels as though it's drawing closer, faster. Two-minute drill with Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor, and uh, regular uh, guest on the Brian Kilmeade Show in this uh, portion of the program. Michael, in in the two minutes that we have left, how much criminal exposure? I mean, do you think there's a sort of a grand gambit, a, a, a deal that that he could make, like sort of like a Cosby deal, only the future uh, prosecutors would have to honor it, unlike what happened to Cosby, where he could say, I'm going to get out of here, although I don't think I did anything wrong, but you can't come after me. Or do you think he has, I think there's going to be multiple people coming at him at a criminal level. What are your thoughts about his criminal exposure after he's out of office? Because I think he's going to be done and it's going to be soon. Well, there are five district attorneys. You know, in New York, uh, each county has its own district attorney, as most states do. And there are f- five counties where these acts allegedly took place. Uh, the, the sites are, are described in the report. And so you've got different DAs all saying, I want a piece of this. I want all the information the attorney general collected so I can make a judgment as to whether the acts that took place in my county were criminal. Uh, The attorney general did not uh, refer this as a criminal case, said she thought it was civil. But that's not to say that a district attorney with a grand jury couldn't reach a different conclusion. Uh, So they're all looking at this. I'm I'm not sure myself, Harry, whether this does pass the criminal test. Maybe one or two of them do. I think they're they're closer calls. Uh, also, the retaliation. Uh, I mean, the, the sexual harassment in the workplace is generally a civil matter uh, in most places, and it would have to be excessive in some particular way. To and as you know, and we got we have to go in like thirty seconds, Michael. As you know. Uh, one of them is saying that he touched her a private area. And she's the one who has filed a criminal complaint yes. uh, with the sheriff, I believe, in Albany County. That's correct, yes. So that would be, the, I think, the most egregious and the most likely to be a crime. But it would, it would be a misdemeanor. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. There may be others. There may be other things that have not come out yet. And, you know, once this door opens, it's not so easy to close. Yeah, Governor Cuomo, at least Nixon had the decency to quit by Michael Goodwin, Michael's latest work on this topic. And as usual, it's excellent. Michael, great to present you on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
My pleasure. Thank you, Harry. You're welcome, sir. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian is off today. Back tomorrow, Harry Hurley, partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. This topic um, obviously is not going away anytime soon. So many people thought that when you were fully vaccinated, the pandemic was over. Fully vaccinated, it means that, uh, you know, you go about your normal life, different words. It's over for you. Uh, there's no more pandemic for you. Many, many ways of saying that if you do what is believed to be the right thing, which is getting vaccinated, that this all goes away. But it really doesn't. I was giving thought early in the morning today and a little Shakespearean to shake hands or not to shake hands. That is the question. Now, I think we were returning to fair fairly normal prior to the Delta variant, which has a lot of people, um, some understandably uh, concerned because there are hospitals that are at maximum and, and this is affecting children and affecting children who are too young to be vaccinated. And there's a, there's a lot of reasons why the Delta variant is real and it's contagious and more so than the Alpha variant. But we were getting back to normal. People were recreating people and, st- and still are actually and we're shaking hands again, and things like that. And I couldn't help but think about how the tradition of the handshake is many centuries old. I can't tell you how many, but many, many centuries old. And there was a practice of the the belief of why handshaking began was so that you could prove you weren't carrying a weapon and that you didn't mean someone harm, that you had come in peace that you'd come in friendship. But I think something that really hurt the art of handshaking was our own infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Eric, cut 23. When you gradually come back, you don't jump into it with both feet. You say, you know, what are the things that you could still do and still approach normal? One of them is absolute compulsive hand washing. The other one is you don't ever shake anybody's hands. (laughs) That's clear. I don't think we'd ever should ever shake hands ever again, to be honest with you. Not only would it be good to prevent coronavirus disease, it probably would decrease the incidence of influenza dramatically in this country. And if you live like John Travolta and the boy in the bubble and you never went outside and if you never breathed and if you never walked, you couldn't fall off your bike and you couldn't skin your knee and you couldn't get into a car crash and something couldn't fall on your head. I mean, you could analysis by paralysis. But remember, the 1918 pandemic that affected one-third of the entire world. We were in the roaring 20s less than two years later, and people were hugging, and they were shaking hands. I think that was a very bad thing that Dr. Fauci said, that we should never shake hands again. It's part of society. It's part of esprit de corps. It's part of being an American. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian has a day off. He'll be back tomorrow. Harry Hurley filling in today, partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Welcome to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, One of our medical heroes uh, during the past more than year and a half, I wonder how many people thought that we would still be talking about these things or some of the same things even, and that uh, somehow approaching the middle of August would feel like last February. I don't know how many people would have signed on to that prediction. Maybe it's a uh, sobering reminder that with a uh, disease, you you just don't know uh, what what can happen. Joining the Brian Kilmeade Show on, on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Fox News medical contributor. Dr. Sapphire, welcome to Brian's program. Okay, Dr. Sapphire, we will get you in a moment. You are very close. We promise that you are you are very close to okay, great. Dr. Sapphire, hey. welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey Harry, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Uh and also uh the the doctor is the author of Panic Attack, Playing Politics with the Science in the Fight Against COVID nineteen. And oh my gosh, did a lot of people do that, and they're still doing it. Let me uh, ask you to riff for just a second off of what I opened up with a moment ago about how many of us would have thought, maybe you as a doctor, but how many of us would have thought that approaching the middle of August that it would feel like last February? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's obviously very discouraging. Uh, Delta has uh, been a game changer a bit, but, you know, what my biggest frustration continues to be is that uh, the CDC, the NIH, and all of our great elite institutions are finding themselves completely incapable of adequately collecting data and giving an accurate portrayal of what the risk of COVID-19 is on an individual basis. We have people who have had the infection, have still have antibodies, and the CDC will not even acknowledge the fact that they probably have a very strong protection against COVID-19. We have people who have been vaccinated, and now you're seeing some of these breakthrough infections, and even still, the data collection can't tell them how at risk they are. And don't even get me started on the children. I mean, it's very frustrating. And I can tell you that we're in a much better place now than we were last summer. But if you watch the headlines or turn on the TV, you wouldn't think so. You just nailed it right there, because last summer felt more normal at this time than the news cycles are making this summer feel. And we have the vaccination, hundreds of millions of people vaccinated. Uh, That is such an important point that you just made. So it really shows the messaging, how the word gets out and what word gets out can change the whole mindset. Of course. I mean, think about that. We have over 160 million Americans fully vaccinated. Ample data shows that the vaccine prevents against severe outcomes. We have probably over 100 million Americans who have actually had COVID-19 with robust natural immunity. And we have also ample data that shows their natural immunity is also protective. So we are we are so much more closer to that herd immunity than we were before. But you're having legislators tell people 
they need to wear masks indoors, even outdoors in some situations. Kids need to be in masks uh, in schools, and yet they continue to not say out loud, hey, by the way, kids are at a very low risk of this virus. You heard them say, hey, this virus is as contagious as chickenpox, which that does make a good headline. But here's the thing. They didn't mention the fact that about every five th- per 100,000 children would die from chickenpox. That's, that's very significant. You have less than 0.01 children per million dying from COVID-19. And also when it came to chickenpox, they acknowledge natural immunity as a form of protection, but they're not doing that now. What? I don't understand what's happening in the CDC, if I can be, if I can be brutally honest. I'm, I'm with you completely. I mean, when you go from, uh, if you've been fully vaccinated, the pandemic is over for you, to suddenly right back to where we were with masks and all the things that are being proposed right now. And as you know, uh, Governor Murphy in New Jersey, K through 12, going back this September, uh, right around the corner, everybody will be masked up, all the children, K through 12 all the teachers, all the support staff. I know you touched on, don't get me started on the children. Let me ask you to get started on the children. How do you feel (laughs) about children going through what will be in-classroom instruction? Because they are, you have to bring the kids back. We we right now have juniors and seniors that that graduated that never even really saw their upper class years. Uh, You you have children now that have not had extra and co-curricular activities and many other things. They have to be able to recreate. I think it's a mental health issue uh, at this point as much as it is a potential disease and your thoughts about the kids going back to school this September not just in the garden state but in many states fully masked up well so listen first of all I'm a mother of three my kids range from six years old to 21 years old my 21 year old is fully vaccinated he's an adult that he makes these decisions Um, you know I have to make the decision for my six and eight year old um, the biggest frustration I have coming out of the CDC is they're com- they have they've proven to be completely incapable of dem- of communicating reality to the public when it comes to children and COVID-19. Out of the over billion dollars in funding of the last year from the NIH, zero absolutely zero dollars were spent to see if there really is a benefit of mask wearing in children and whether or not um, that is enough. And you have Governor Murphy and others who have come out recently saying kids need to be masked in school, K through 12, doesn't matter if the adults are vaccinated, doesn't matter what the community transmission is, they just need to do it. Well, when, when did we get to a point where people can actually put forth these policies without having any data to back it up? They talk about how, you know what, we have studies that show that wearing masks in schools decrease transmission. Well, let me actually tell you what those studies show. Yes, there was a big study out of North Carolina, 90,000 children in school. The majority of the cases were teachers bringing the virus into the school, the teachers transmitting amongst themselves, teachers actually giving uh, the virus to a child. There were zero cases, actually, of a child giving it to a teacher. And the children-to-children transmission is much lower. And so when they say, though, that the masks lessen the transmission, well, they weren't just masked. They were distanced, they had improved ventilation, and they were outside. That was before the vaccines. 
now we have vaccines. And if our goal was to always protect the adults because children could be these silent super spreaders, great news. Adults can be vaccinated. Also, if an adult still is nervous, they can wear a high-grade medical mask like a KN95. They can do that. But there is absolutely no data that shows children wearing these single-layer cloths is actually beneficial for them. In fact, there are risk to wearing these masks themselves. And you look to the UK, because again, the, the CDC is completely incapable of coming up with our own data. So we have to look to other countries. The UK opened up just fine with children in school without masks, even in the Delta variant. And they didn't see a rise in hospitalizations or deaths from children. In fact, what they showed was those hospitalizations that were reported in children were probably already overestimated. So they did a deep dive into their data and showed that hospitalizations and deaths in children were overestimated. Again, the CDC refuses to do that. Certain hospital systems in California have done that themselves, and they have shown up to 50% of hospitalizations reported as kids with COVID. Actually, COVID wasn't what put the kid in the hospital in the first place. So we have to get back to a place that we have already accepted risks. We know that RSV, which is another respiratory virus, and the flu can have severe outcomes in children. We deal with those risks every single year, yet we send our children to school without masks, and we do the best we can. When there's a local outbreak, sometimes the school will shut down for a few days just to sanitize and kind of give people a break. But we don't go to virtual learning. We don't quarantine for two weeks. We don't do any of these things. And if we actually cared about our children, then what we would actually do is follow the science, get them back in school without masks. You vaccinate the teachers, the adults, or give them high-grade quality masks, but you keep those kids in school. The fact that the CDC is still saying for a close contact that child has to be quarantined for two weeks and go to virtual learning is completely asinine. They need to start being held accountable for what they're doing. Such important content. Fox News medical contributor Dr. Nicole Sapphire on The Brian Kilmeade Show. How do we know who to believe? You bring up a really good point. CDC has just let us down time and time again. I don't even want to go all the way back to when they said don't wear a mask because it's not safe. Then they said wear two masks. I mean, Fauci was wearing two masks. I mean, it it got absolutely insane. It's always been this way from the beginning. How do we know who to believe? I mean, we're reading, if you go to some of this reading that's available in Israel, in the United Kingdom and elsewhere, they're saying the vaccination provides far less protection. Uh, then, Then you hear other people saying that the current vaccine may not stop Delta in certain areas. And then we hear other people say that it is good uh, in terms of of, um, the Delta variant. Who do we believe, Dr. Sapphire? It's a great question. Um, And the answer is I don't really know. I I read the data, and so I go based off of that, but I don't really expect everybody to be reading academic papers. Um, I think that the best person to talk to is your local physician, Um, and I think that the CDC is going to have a lot of explaining to do right now because they are being called out by um, experts across the country. And when it comes to the vaccines and their protection, it, obviously it varies based on what type of vaccine it is. I can tell you that even though you see breakthrough infections, the vaccines are very protective still against severe illness, um, as is natural immunity. But as we know, over 600,000 Americans have died from COVID-19. So if you want to gamble to get that 
immune, uh, that natural immunity, uh, I guess that's your choice, but it, it seems the mo- much safer alternative is to get vaccinated if you're not immune at this point. And, and I do, uh, I, Dr. Sapphire, as a point of emphasis, I do want to um, have you comment further about the vaccines because I'm a big believer that they work. I believe in the science. I've been told to believe in the science in, in the past seven to eight days. I have witnessed someone very close to me that was fully vaccinated, test positive within seven days, test negative. The the vaccine works, doesn't it? I think I know who you're talking about, <laughs> or maybe. I, I actually at this point have now had several friends, some are doctors, some are not, who are having breakthrough infections, fully vaccinated, and they've been exposed for whatever reason, and now they have COVID. Uh, but the good news is it's a, it's, a, it's a summer cold. It's annoying. It's a summer cold, though. And so the COVID vaccine is going to be like the flu vaccine. You know, it, It's not going to be 100% foolproof of completely preventing illness, but it's, it drastically, drastically lowers your, your risk of a severe outcome from COVID-19. And that's exactly what the flu shot does. And that's a great thing because our goal is to keep people out of the hospital, keep people alive. I'm sorry if it's going to be just another annoying summer cold, but, you know, such is life. What about all these hospitals uh, down south and in many of the states where the total number of people vaccinated is on the lower side? Their emergency rooms, their hospitals, their ICUs, there seems to be uh, some very serious situations in parts of the country. No, absolutely. I'm, I have a good friend in West Texas who is very over. She's a physician, very overwhelmed right now, treating COVID patients. Um, she says that they are all unvaccinated, except there was one, but they're a transplant patient, and we know the vaccines have reduced efficacy in them. Yep. Um, and so it's, you know, it's disheartening, especially in the Sun Belt area. You have uh, more African-American communities. The obesity is higher than other areas in the country. And these are risk factors for severe outcomes. And uh, unfortunately, the politicization of this entire pandemic is what has uh, muddied the water here. And so the message needs to be, uh, for, first of all, on one hand, with, the, with Delta being as transmissible as it is, uh, Millions of people are being exposed a day, so therefore our natural immunity is drastically rising. But as I said, if we're going to go the natural immunity route, that means people are going to be hospitalized and people are going to die. So the message needs to be, while the far majority of people will be okay if they get infected and they get COVID-19, the safer route to get immunity from this virus is through vaccination. Final minute with Dr. Sapphire, Dr. Nicole Sapphire. I was very concerned when I heard Dr. Anthony Fauci say he was already predicting a worse variant coming along in like the fall or something like that. I mean, already people are surprised that we're back to where we are. Then we're being promised by the, the allegedly the world's leading infectious disease specialist that an even worse one. Now, you think it's bad now. An even worse one is coming in the fall. I didn't like that, Dr. Sapphire. <laughs> Uh, Right. Well, you know, Dr. Fauci saying there's going to be a worse variant coming in the fall. It reminds me of when the Pfizer CEO several months ago said, oh, we're definitely going to need a booster. It's like, uh, you know what? You may be right. But can you just hold on a second? Like, like, give us a second to breathe. Um, When it comes to the variants, sure, there are more variants. But thus far, all of the variants um, all are showing that they have not broken through natural and vaccine-induced immunity. Uh, even the Lambda variant that people are starting to talk about, the data that was used to discern the Lambda variant was based on uh, the Sinovac uh, 
vaccine out of China, which we know has a much lower efficacy than the mRNA vaccines. So we need to stop with the fear mongering. We need to take it one day at a time. By the time we hit the fall, there's going to be so much immunity in this country that it may not have the effect that um, Dr. Fauci's comments um, are warranting. But again, you know, as we go into the winter months, yeah, we do see flu viruses. We see RSV, and now we may be seeing COVID-19. But the goal is to make sure people have as much immunity as possible so that we aren't seeing those hospitalizations and deaths. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, uh, thank you for your leadership. And as Brian Kilme would say, go get them. <laughs> Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. We will be back in just a little bit. Don't go away. Much more important content straight ahead. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian has a day off. Brian will be back tomorrow. Harry Hurley partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Welcome to The Brian Kilmeade Show. The issue of the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated, I, I, I believe that some have done this on purpose. It's, it's like everything else, everything. Look, if a once in 100 plus year pandemic can become political and, and anybody being intellectually honest, you know, this has become extremely political. We went from a presidential candidate and vice presidential candidate saying they won't even take a Trump vaccine as though former President Trump was whipping this thing up himself in a lab coat, uh, mixing beakers. I mean, outrageousness. Then you get in and you tell people it's safe and you, you need to take it. And then you start games between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Look, I'm one of the vaccinated. I know Brian is one of the vaccinated. There, there's about 30 percent of our country that are unvaccinated. And we probably picked up about 10 percent since the Delta variant. I mean, all you have to do is see someone on a ventilator. Uh, go go look at the process. It's uh, pretty graphic. Go go look at intubation and see what that looks like. And you don't ever want that. But if you ever, ever think you can get to the most possible highest percentage of vaccinated in our country, you're not going to do it by calling people who have a different opinion stupid, and you're not going to get there by forcing them. You get them by continuing to do good, to do good work. When Pfizer at the end of the month comes out and the Pfizer vaccine, Moderna and J&J, they haven't submitted yet. I don't know why, but Pfizer did submit to the um, FDA for the full approval. And that's not experimental. I expect another 5 to 10% will get vaccinated. You get there by working together. You don't get there by dividing. You can't tear the house down, burn the house down to rule the ashes. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Brian has a day off, 
and he will be back tomorrow, which is wonderful news. Harry Hurley filling in today, partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, which sits high atop the Mount Olympus of radio talk shows in America today. Talkers Magazine places Brian Kilmeade on its Mount Rushmore of radio talk show hosts in America. There's only room for four, and Brian Kilmeade is deservedly one of the four. You can follow Brian at briankilmeade.com, briankilmeadeshow.com. Brian is also a New York Times bestselling author. Brian's latest book is available now on pre-order. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. I'm promising you what a read this is going to be. Brian has also uh, got a very, very cool, fast-approaching event that's coming up. You have the opportunity Saturday, September 25th, to see Brian and Dana Perino at the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park, New Jersey. All the details are up at briankillmead.com. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, uh, a fabulous guest uh, on such an important topic because there has been so much uh, degradation uh, in Afghanistan. It's, it's, it's actually heartbreaking to see 20 years worth of progress uh, basically going down the tubes. And we'll see if Chiron agrees with that fairly dramatic statement that I, as a layperson, made because Chiron Skinner on the Brian Kilmeade Newsmaker line is a former director of policy planning at the State Department and a senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and the Taliban, they're on the move. I saw a couple weeks ago they had, I mean, they're like Alexander conquering territory. They, they got about a third of the country back, I believe, much quicker than many of the so-called experts believed. And remember, for the past two decades, the Afghan government largely relied on our American military to defend them against the radical Taliban. And if you remember the Taliban's five-year rule, it was terrible. Sure, universally shunned by the world, probably got support from politically from Pakistan, as, as President Obama would call them. But remember, women were prevented, prohibited from working, prohibited from attending school, prohibited from leaving home without a male relative. And you could go on and on and on. And I really do believe that a lot of that progress is already well into the process of being lost. Chiron Skinner joins the Brian Kilmeade Show. Chiron, hi there. Hi, how are you? Thank you, um, Harry, for having me. It is a pleasure. Did I say anything that you would like to correct? Because we do want to get it right here. You're an expert, I'm not. Uh, did I say anything that, uh, that you take exception to? No, you didn't. And sadly, um, you just outlined the... Uh, reality of what's happening in Afghanistan and um, without a U.S. strategy. That's the part I think you missed, is that about, the Biden Chiron, administration Answer is to, being, to, to, to is Brian's, being, let, I just want to get this in real quick, and then, then, then I will not interrupt you, I promise. Chiron Skinner, a- answer this question for Brian's listeners. Even parts of the world that are civilized, when we leave decades ago, we still leave people behind. I know they're talking about there's something called something that's in the neighborhood and that we have aerial possibilities and stuff. But once we leave, the Taliban knows it's 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 Christmas time again for them. It's time to it's time to do whatever they want to do. Right. Absolutely. And it's not only that we're leaving, but we've given them 
um, the the timeline of our departure. So they're just planning yeah. and they're gathering steam since we decided to leave and announced that August 31st is our last day. The Taliban have increased their kinetic activity all over the country. They've moved from the rural areas to crucial cities. They've um, dominated most of the important international um, crossings for the country. Now, as they did on Friday, they're going in for the provincial capitals. There's 34 in the country. They want to um, perhaps dominate all of them. The one that they just captured um, has actually a border with Iran and um, and, um, and, um, Pakistan or China. So these are big moves um, for the um, Afghan Taliban. And the administration has no strategy beyond a few airstrikes from um, military assets in the Persian Gulf and the use of drones. Chiron, uh, a very dear friend of mine a long time ago taught me that never say things can't get any worse. People sometimes think that things are the worst they can be. They can always get worse. And I would ask you as an expert on this topic uh, for Brian's listeners that we know how it was before. Women couldn't go to school. Women couldn't drive. All the things I mentioned in my intro of you. So when we think it couldn't get any worse, the fact that over the past 20 years, women have achieved certain rights and are doing things and were, I don't know about now, were doing things that they couldn't do before. And you know the Taliban hated that. They hated women having equal rights or rights of any kind. Could it be said intellectually, honestly, that they could make it even worse than it was prior to our involvement in the past 20 years? I think it will go back to something very harsh, and it's already happening. Um, The United Nations reports, I think, in the last month, about a 1,000 civilians have been injured or killed. Um, That number could rise. The country could um, descend into full-blown civil war. And you're right. It could be harsher. They are more determined. Um, The whole idea of defeating um, a great power like the United States is very attractive to the Taliban narrative. Um, They've got all kinds of deals going with um, countries in the region. And so we are in for a very tragic situation. If I could add, um, a week or so ago, I was on a Fox um, News program, and the host said, could this be another Saigon? And I said, no, I don't think so. But I was thinking about the U.S. departure in April 1975 with American servicemen holding on to the skids of helicopters as they left the country. I think this is a Saigon in a different way, not with the U.S. leaving the way it's leaving, which is truly embarrassing for um, our 20-year commitment that should honor um, the fallen heroes both in the U.S. and NATO countries and, uh, and the Afghans themselves. But it's Saigon um, 75 in this way. The country will descend into the very hands of the people that we fought to defeat. And that you have Afghan servicemen taking off their uniforms, running across the border into Iran for safe um, haven. That's a tragic look. Wow. What does that yeah, tell that, the Afghan people? Cut and run. We cut and run. Uh, That is a profound analogy, Chiron, that you just made. 
How about this? After criticism, it looked kind of haphazard, but they did it at least. They got some of the interpreters back, some of their family members back. But how those people must feel that America abandoned them after they risked everything. They, they risked their lives, their families' lives. They risked everything to be loyal to our cause. And then we cut and ran on them, didn't we? Yes, and, you know, we'll bring many of them over to the U.S. and resettle them here. Um, some will stay. Some may move on. But I really worry about all of those Afghan men and women, boys and girls, who were watching us and who thought they're the North Star for freedom. They will support us. Maybe they weren't interpreters. Maybe they didn't work in the intelligence community to support our effort. But they were watching and they were believing, and they saw the opportunity that came with freedom. That's, this is a tragedy beyond a tragedy. And the Taliban, according to many, um, could be in control of yet another provincial um, capital before August 31st. It took one yet another over the weekend. They're moving fast. On the, on the Brian Kilmeade Show, we are visiting with Chiron Skinner, the former director of policy planning at the State Department and a senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. In terms of where we are right now, uh, you would have thought, I would have thought, actually, but you can tell, I guess, somebody else, other people are calling the shots, possibly and not President Biden, because you would have thought he would have learned two-term vice president, uh, saw what President Obama did. Whenever we tell the enemy the date that we are leaving, that is destined for abject failure and for a disastrous result. You're basically telling a very dangerous enemy that's beheading people as we speak uh, and doing unbelievably bad things and, and conquering territory day after day that, hey, yeah, all you have to do is just, you know, hang out to August 31st and it's all good. We're telling you exactly when you reopen, you put your, uh, your, your you know, your store uh, front sign back up open for business. We telegraph to them when they're back in business. How dumb is that? It's um, frighteningly unbelievable, but it is the, um, what we have done, and the administration seems determined, despite the fact that this is not um, a, a really um, good principle to, to move by under military science. They're headed in that direction, but there's more to it. It gets a lot more granular. For example, as we're pulling out our forces from Afghanistan, including our intelligence assets, yes. even when we do airstrikes, they're often less effective because we don't have the intel on the ground that's really that can pinpoint us to where we need to go. So the Af the Afghan Taliban can simply go into their bunkers and wait for the strikes to happen, um, and then come out when they're done. When you telegraph your top line, your deadline for leaving, you telegraph a lot that happens below. It just makes you weaker militarily. It makes you weaker in terms of intelligence assets, um, and it lessens the resolve of the Afghan military, the military left behind. Kiran, that was such a, uh important point you made, Kiran, that the um, airstrikes alone may slow them down, but it will not stop them. The threat remains, and the threat continues to accelerate, actually, and so when the president makes the, the statement, we're not leaving them, we're, we'll do airstrikes, we'll do whatever we have to do, losing the intelligence, as you brought up, is huge. Also, losing our presence in that, from a geographical standpoint, 
in that part of the world is also a bad decision, isn't it? It is, and losing, um, helping to decrease the morale of the Afghan National Defense Force. And as we watch these servicemen um, cut and run, literally run over the borders as they're removing their, um, their military uniforms, saying, this is something I can't do. And on top of it, as they're running to, get, um, to another country to escape the country they love, the Taliban, when they take over a provincial capital or rural city, they're opening up the prisons so that wow. they can have new recruits to the insurgency. They're replenishing themselves with, with people who are incredibly dangerous. Chiron, we have one more minute, and I think this is an important uh, point for us that we can, we can leave on this and reconvene in the future. I'm not surprised because they've been so wrong, spectacularly, spectacularly wrong about so much, whether it's the southern border. The Biden administration didn't anticipate the Taliban surge to happen this quickly. You've written about it. You've talked about it very, very expertly and well. How could they not have expected this? You know, that's a good question, and I've been giving some thought to it. I don't even think it's that they didn't um, address this issue in their minds or in, um, in their roundtable discussions. I just don't think it's part of their, um, their high-level um, high priority for the administration. Wow. A lot of this is about getting out of conflicts they, um, that they think um, the Trump administration did not complete or they disagreed with the Bush administration. It's kind of payback time for, um, and settling some scores for prior administrations. A ter- that's a terrible way um, to proceed in U.S. grand strategy. I don't think there's really a concern about what's happening. You don't hear the administration daily giving a briefing about the deterioration of Afghanistan. In, in thir- the in, top in, issue. Chiron, in 30 seconds, because we have to break, what does this say to other allies that the United States, our word is not good? This has, I think this could have a lasting hangover effect. It does immediately. I think it weakens us, of course, in Southwest Asia. It potentially strengthens the hand of the Chinese, which I'd love to come back and talk about, um, because they're in discussions with the Taliban. They had a mini-summit um, recently. Um, they have a Belt and Road Initiative with Pakistan, Af- Afghanistan's neighbor, um, and they're thinking of including Afghanistan in this economic corridor we're just weakening ourselves, wow. strengthening potentially Iran, Russia, and China as we leave. Fascinating conversation. Thank you, Chiron. Be well. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Brian has the day off. Harry Hurley, honored to fill in today for Brian. He'll be back tomorrow. I am partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete, who are wonderful. Welcome. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Just to give you an idea, it isn't just Chiron Skinner or or Brian's fill-in guy uh, telling you about what's happening in Afghanistan. Let's take a listen 
to the Afghanistan ambassador to the United Nations. Eric Cut, 18. We're compelled to ask for this urgent meeting as the situation in Afghanistan has been rapidly deteriorating due to recent escalation of violence by the Taliban and their brutal military offensives on major cities and population centers in several provinces. And that's now. Can you imagine by the end of the month when, like, the total green light signal has been, has been blared? Remember in the 20 years that have passed how quickly things can change. You had women, if they disobeyed any of these horrific rules, they were killed. I mean, horrific treatment. After the Taliban was defeated back in 2001, when President George W. Bush was in office, children flew kites, believe it or not, played games. All these were illegal before that. People played music. People getting married were able to have entertainment play music at their weddings. Women could leave their homes and not fear for being beaten by the Taliban. And all of that is in the process of ending. I never understood this decision, and I never, even before visiting with Chiron Skinner today on the Ryan Kilmeade Show and to hear it from a former high-ranking State Department official, I never understood it. It just it made no sense where common sense would prevail. Look, if there, there's always going to be a difference. For some reason, Democrats uh, are not the same in terms of military affairs as Republicans. It's, it's just like Democrats and Republicans differ on domestic issues. But keeping some level of presence, not beyond just airstrikes, which are not going to be enough, we've lost intelligence, we have lost geographic presence in the region, and so much more. Very, very regrettable. And you watch as time goes on. I hate to predict this on the Brian Kilmeade Show, but it's it's only going to get worse. What might be 33% right now, Taliban uh, taking over the, uh, the region, will be much more. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay with us. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian has the day off. He'll be back tomorrow. An honor to fill in today for Brian. My name is Harry Hurley. I am partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete. I'm in great hands, as you know, and welcome. It is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is a longtime friend, a former uh, multi-term New Jersey State Assemblyman. So he has the pedigree. He has the experience uh, at the legislative branch level. Uh, He has opened and managed uh, several successful businesses. He has the private business experience, and he has won the Republican nomination for governor of the state of New Jersey. He will be running this November 2nd and for the first time ever with 10 days of early voting, first time ever uh, in the state of New Jersey history. We've always had mail-in voting potential and things like that, but the first time ever we will have actually 10 days of early voting at the polls 
in New Jersey. Uh, so that is a um, uh, something that will have to be calibrated, and and we'll take a look at that during and and after decision twenty twenty one. Joining us uh, for an important discussion, and he is all the way in Israel as we speak. Uh, Jack and Melinda and uh, some other friends and family are there uh, to visit our special sister nation. Jack, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Harry, it's great to be with you, and congratulations on substituting in for Brian. Well, it's great to be here, and what's so wonderful about technology you sound like you're five minutes away, and it's seven hours later where you are. So I know you're uh, at dinner time right now uh, in Israel. Before we get into some of the issues, and we have some important issues to discuss during our time together, Assemblyman, uh, tell our listeners the reason that you, Melinda, and others in your party are in Israel. Our, our cultural, religious, and economic ties with Israel as a sister nation are, are critically important, Harry. A very large segment of our population, New Jersey, is of du- Jewish faith and Jewish descent. And so I want to demonstrate to them uh, and to Israel uh, that my administration will be all about strengthening those, those cultural, religious, and economic ties. And we've had a wonderful day today meeting with business leaders, uh, civic leaders, and we just left the Yitzhak Rabin Museum, which provided a magnificent history uh, on the state of Israel. Assemblyman Cedarelli, what would you say right now? I do want to get into some specific issues in general, but what do you feel at this stage of the campaign? Still early on, but it's going to be here before we know it. And with early voting, it's a longer election season than ever before, actually, at the polls. What's the state of the race, Cedarelli versus Governor Murphy? Well, I'm, I'm very, very pleased with our campaign, and I see this race continuing to tighten as we move closer and closer to Election Day, Harry. So we're going to continue to talk about the issues that matter most to New Jerseyans. We're going to continue to talk about the things Phil Murphy never talks about. Number one, property taxes, and number two, creating jobs. Uh, I just did a video last week. For the first time in 63 years, Oreo cookies will no longer be made in New Jersey. Nabisco moved out and took 600 jobs with it. You don't hear Phil Murphy say a thing about this. We can't have businesses leaving New Jersey. We need businesses coming to New Jersey, and that's part of my mission here in this trip to Israel, uh, attracting capital, attracting entrepreneurs and companies that are looking to expand, making sure they do it in New Jersey. So we're going to continue to talk about those two issues, as well as his mishandling of the pandemic. His uh, decisions killed seniors and veterans in our nursing homes. His decisions closed one out of three small businesses on Main Street. Mom-and-pop shops that were in families for generations are now gone forever. And we know what impact that has, not just on the economy, but on our local communities and his lack of leadership of children out of school. And now he's given us a mask mandate for kids come this September, which I really don't think is in the best um, interest of the children with regard to their emotional and intellectual development. I think that's a decision that should be made by families, not government. And we're going to get to that uh, right now, as a matter of fact, as a point of emphasis. Uh, This past Friday, I had the, the pleasure to interview our mutual good friend, the 55th governor of the state of New Jersey, uh, Governor Chris Christie, on Fox News Radio on The Guy Benson Show. And I specifically brought up to him the issue of Governor Murphy's executive order because it was that day that that actually it had been put into effect. And he said something uh, that was very much um, associated with you and your campaign. Eric, cut 22. I'm going to make a prediction here, Harry. This is going to be one of the things we're going to look back on. If Phil Murphy is not reelected, it's going to be one of the moments where Jack Chiarelli is going to thank him for giving him an unforced error 
much like when John Corthine, you'll remember, said in 2009 that he would reconsider selling the turnpike in the parkway. And I remember the celebration that was going on on our campaign bus when that story came out. I got a feeling the same kind of uh, celebration is happening today at Chitterelli Allen headquarters um, when he does something like this, because this is going to really incense parents regardless of their political persuasion. And Assemblyman Chatterelli, you know uh, the answer from Governor Christie, and it's obvious, it's self-evident what the question was. But just to uh, be Captain Obvious here, the question that I posed to Governor Murphy, uh, to Governor Christie in detail about Governor Murphy was, what role do you think this will play? Obviously, big decisions can cut one or two ways. What role do you think this could play uh, in the race for governor regarding children K through 12 mandatory face mask wearing uh, starting in September. You heard the answer. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Harry, it's going to play a very, very big role. I'm out in the field every single day talking to New Jerseyans and particularly parents that aren't happy about the public school curriculum um, or this most recent mandate. They want the choice. And I firmly believe this should be a parental choice. This is another infringement uh, on parental rights. And I don't know why the governor has to force this upon people. Uh, let people make the choice. It's pretty clear that wearing masks, particularly for our youngest students, affects their emotional and intellectual development and infringes upon their learning. And we shouldn't have that. So, listen, this is going to play a major role, as will the statements that will remind New Jerseyans of over and over again. Let's not forget, this is a governor who said, if taxes are your issue, we're probably not your state. And he also said he want to make New Jersey the California of the East Coast. And when he took away our right to assemble, our right to run our businesses, and our right to worship, he went on TV and said the Bill of Rights was above his pay grade. So this decision is going to weigh heavily in people's minds, I believe, as will those three statements, which we're going to repeat over and over again. On the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is former New Jersey Assemblyman Jack Cettarelli, who is the current Republican nominee for governor. Uh, nationally, probably not nearly as well known, but certainly tri-states area. You selected a legend to be your running mate, a five-term state senator who had an entire career, distinguished career, Hall of Fame career, as one of the most respected uh, Philadelphia television broadcasters in in history. Uh, Actually, as you know, a a full piece of legislation bears her name in terms of equitable treatment and rights and pay and all of that for women. What was your calculus for selecting former state senator – former television news anchor, Diane Allen, to be your running mate? First and foremost, Harry, I needed somebody who was competent, who knew their way around Trenton, that could run a state government. Heaven forbid something happened to me. My responsibility to the people of New Jersey is the second in command can run the, jo- run the show, and she can. If there was a Mount Rushmore of New Jersey legislators, Diane Allen would be on it. She's a fiscal conservative. She's a champion of women's rights. Um, she's won six elections, all in races where Democrats outnumber Republicans, so she transcends the political divide. And I couldn't be more pleased, and the reaction to my announcement has been extremely well-received all around the state. We're going to kick some butt over the next three months, and we're going to win this election. Assemblyman Chatterelli, I think a lot of people thought that the, um, the – because they told us, government told us at the highest level, the president said, if you take the vaccine, get fully vaccinated, and the pandemic is over for you – Uh, until it wasn't. What would you have done? I think it's one thing easy to be, and you're not like this. You offer solutions. I know this of you, but I want the listeners of the Brian Kilmeade show to get to know you a bit. 
you know that you can't just complain that somebody's terrible, he smells, he stinks, he's horrible, I'll be better. Uh, what would you have done differently if you were the governor of New Jersey during the COVID-19 pandemic from beginning to now? Sure. From, begin, from the very beginning, Harry, we knew who the most vulnerable people were to this virus. The very first deaths in the nation took place in a nursing home in Washington State. I would never, ever have ordered COVID-19 patients into our nursing homes. Okay, um, We killed more people unnecessarily because COVID-19 patients were ordered into our nursing homes. I would have treated, I would never have done that. I would have treated nursing homes as we did hospitals by getting them test kits and PPEs. I would not have shut down the economy so much for so long. There would have been more consistency in my executive orders, shutting down a jewelry store on Main Street, but allowing the jewelry counter at Costco to stay open is a terrible inconsistency to me and shows how tone-deaf Phil Murphy is to our small business Main Street economy in New Jersey. And starting last September, I would have had the children in school, at the very least K through 5 and special needs students. So those are just some of the things, Harry, that uh, I would have done very differently. And I know you t- you touched on it a little while ago during our interview, Assemblyman Chattarelli, but I want to ask you the question straight up, uh, direct. Would you have implemented a mask mandate for students, for teachers, for supportive staff members, for school that's going back in the next several weeks? I would not, Harry. Um, I think the data is pretty clear with regard to children who more times than not, if if they contact the virus, are asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. Um, there is pretty strong evidence and research that shows that wearing a mask, particularly for younger students, affects their emotional and intellectual development. We shouldn't be infringing upon their, their need to learn. I think there's a number of ways to keep teachers safe uh, without having a mask mandate for students. I believe this is a parental choice, and that's what I would have said come this September that it's up to parents as to whether or not their children wear a mask in school. The country would say this right now in unison if if we could have everybody in one voice on the Brian Kilmeade show with megaphones saying it to Assemblyman Chattarelli, the Republican nominee for governor in New Jersey, that New Jersey is a deep, dark, blue state. Uh, how can a Republican win? How do you answer that? We are not a deep, dark, blue state when it comes to gubernatorial elections in New Jersey. Republicans have won six of the last 10. Um, Over that same four-decade span, every time a Democrat took the White House, New Jersey turned around and elected a Republican governor the very next year. And, Harry, I know you know this, but many listeners don't. Phil Murphy lost his midterms. Two years ago, Republicans did something we hadn't done in 28 years. We picked up seats in the state legislature. And to me, that was the beginning of the beginning of the rejection of Phil Murphy's extremist policies. So I see a real opportunity this year, and I intend to seize it. What will be the difference in your estimation going from that, I called it a zombie election of 2020, where millions of ballots went out, whether people asked for them or not? I, I just thought, not just New Jersey, but everywhere that was done, I thought it was horrific. Uh, I thought it actually had a major impact in races around the country where these ballots could be harvested, anything. When you don't send out an application where somebody has to prove who they are and sign a signature card and then get a ballot application sent to them and then finally send that in and get a ballot, when it just showed up like that, well, that's not happening this time. I think that's a huge advantage because for whatever reason, I'm not going to call them cheaters, but Democrats are better at that game than Republicans. So this election is going to be more uh, traditional. We will have 10 days of early voting. How do you like the landscape electoral voting machine wise 
as opposed to an all, mostly all vote by mail election. The good news, Harry, is we'll be voting in person this year. The bad news is it's going to cost $100 million in taxpayer money because Phil Murphy and his infinite wisdom has early voting this year. I wouldn't have minded if we were early voting on the Saturday, Sunday, and Monday before Election Day for a few hours each. But they're going to open up the polls nine days early, an additional cost of $100 million. I mean, this, there's no idea of theirs that just doesn't tax, cost taxpayers more money. Well, listen, I'm very, very confident um, that this election is going to work out well for Cedarelli for governor. Um, we're up and down the state eight days a week. And, yes, last year was a travesty. You know, in Phil Murphy's world, you can wait five hours online at one of his motor vehicle agencies, but you couldn't wait online to vote in person. So we had an all-vote-by-mail election. And let's face it, Harry, we didn't mail 6.2 million ballots to people. We mailed them to names on the voter registration rolls, and we know there's a whole lot of people on those rolls that shouldn't be there. We're out of time, regretfully, uh, but thank you for making it uh, possible to visit with you from Israel. Safe travels, and uh, good to speak with you, Assemblyman. Same here, Harry. Looking forward to next time. Be well. Assemblyman Jack Chatterelli, literally in Israel, but it was so clear you would think that he was right here in the States. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Don't go away. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Can't get enough of Brian? Come see him live on stage with Dana Perino for an evening of laughs and lively conversation. Laughter, life, and the joy of liberty. Saturday, September 25th at the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Go to briankilmeade.com to get your tickets now. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you, Brian, for the opportunity to fill in for you today. To Brian's listeners, do not worry. The substitute teacher will be leaving, and Brian will be back tomorrow. Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian Kilmeade with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Part of what um, you hear about when we get divided into red and blue states. And I I want you to remember something, or maybe you're hearing it for the first time. I wrote extensively about this. As recently as President Reagan, we were not red and blue states. When black and white television went to color television and they wanted to be able to have contrast, they chose blue and red, which are outstanding part of red, white, and blue, and they're, they're ex- excellent contrast from one another, and they stand out nice, and you can see the difference between the two readily. But what they did was every other election cycle for president, they switched. In other words, when Reagan won, I think it was the 1984 re-election, he was blue. Not, we weren't red states, and we weren't blue states. We became red and blue states after the the 2000 election and the Al Gore challenge. Remember, he initially conceded, and then he decided to challenge the election. And I remember saying at the time, even before it started, how divisive that was going to be, and it was terrible. It was the state Supreme Court in Florida was awful. Uh, And then it, of course, was decided ultimately by the United States Supreme Court in Bush v. Gore, which a lot of people thought— could never happen. Uh, Ted Olson, then the Solicitor General, prior to that was the Solicitor General of the United States, um, was President Bush's lawyer. 
in the case. Brilliant uh, case that he put on, and they, they won the case. It was a one-time remedy, but they won the case, and they won the presidency uh, ever so close. It just It's one of those elections where no matter how they tried to count it, it always came down to somewhere around 500 to 1,000 votes difference. But we forever became red and blue states, which is a terrible thing because it's all part of what has happened to divide us. And that's why since September 11th, we have not been united. Even a deadly pandemic did not unite the United States of America. In fact, it divided us further. I remember saying at the time, September 11th, 2001, it would be the last time that we would be united again for a long, long time. And it's been, well, this September 11th, right around the corner. It will be two decades. Thank you, Brian Kilmeade. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Eric. And thank you, Pete. What a privilege it is to work with this incredible team. I meant it when I said it. You are the Mount Rushmore of radio talk show programs in America. And keep in mind, there's only room for four. Until we meet again, if we meet again, my name is Harry Hurley. Stay safe. Stay strong. Be well. God bless America. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.